0: Nightcaps of the Living Dead.
1: This American Psycho Life.
0: Hey everyone, you have tuned in to a Top Gold episode. We are discussing a film that is based on one of the most banned books of all time. American Psycho. And Australia, when you buy this book, is just shrink-wrapped. You can't even thumb through it, getting those ideas of American greed and murder and all that. But, um, gee, do you know which specific scene made the rating boards go, this is going to be NC-17?
1: Um, I... No, but I'm going to guess.
0: Guess, I want you to guess.
1: Um... I would say knowing the MPAA yes. of the United States, uh-huh. how they are, it's the it's the scene with the two girls. Ding, ding,
0: ding, ding, ding. You're yes. so right. Why do you know all the things? You know all the things.
1: Because they always censor sex, sex, is worse sex more than, than violence. violence. Oh, yeah.
0: The worst, yep. which that is just the chef's kiss <laughs> this social commentary.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep.
0: So, okay, guys, if you've read or watched American Psycho, you know that you're tuning into subject matter that is really dark. I was actually a tiny bit trepidatious about giving this a rewatch because it's so satirical, you mm-hmm. know? And honestly, this is a movie that is, it doesn't even get better with age. It's incredible watching yep. this in twenty twenty one. This is why we're doing the podcast. This is an incredible rewatch. Please do it after you hear this. Um gee, what you drinking?
1: So I am having a little donku, my favorite rum <sighs> from, from Puerto, Puerto Rico. Rico. Donku cristal, which is the clear rum, with a splash of guava juice and soda. Yeah. It's like Perfectly, tr- I'm since you're in Puerto Rico yes. and I'm in North Carolina. I'm drinking your by proxy. Drink to, yes, <laughs> <laughs> to to be there with you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that solidarity. Like you're a true friend. Um, I wanted to have a themed drink to be like, oh, I'm gonna drink an expensive Chardonnay, like they keep saying in the movie. Oh my
1: god, I wanted to get that too. Yeah, but I, but I hate Chardonnay.
0: Chardonnay. I hate Chardonnay, <laughs> and I wasn't gonna do it. So I'm drinking a ten dollar cava. <laughs>
1: It works. An inexpensive Spanish the Spanish champagne right. Basically. It
0: is the antithesis <laughs> of nineteen eighties Wall Street wealth. So yeah. <laughs> All right. So who do you want to start with on this? Do you want to go into Mary Heron or Brett Easton let's Ellis? Let's talk
1: let's talk about Brett a little bit. All right, I let's think, let's go you know? to
0: town. Let's do it.
1: Um so Brett Easton Ellis is a novelist famous i believe oh at least the first time i ever heard of him was because of less than, zero, less than which, zero which had been adapted into a movie starring robert downey jr i want to say that this is the movie that made robert uh, downey jr I famous right yeah mm-hmm. um and so this is my brett easton ellis knowledge i know he's written other novels and so forth and yeah the rules of attraction the rules of attraction which is i i didn't know this it's the character is the brother of the Patrick Bateman mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was written before American Psycho right so I, I think the I order is not. less than zero rules of attraction
0: and it's the um, adolescence of a uh, psychopathy is that yes. is that how it goes <laughs> <laughs> how to grow up to be a monster is that what that is
1: So the, and then the rules of attraction the rules of attraction was made into a movie starring um, I remember James Van Der Beek yeah <laughs> James Van Der Beek yeah
0: and I didn't Dawson's. love it. I remember not liking it, and they were really helming in of like sex, sex, Dawson. And I'm like, this isn't the right marketing to do.
1: Yeah, I don't think it worked very well. I think it it was kind of like I want, want. What What are your feelings
0: movie. on Brett Easton Ellis as an author?
1: So the thing is, my knowledge of him. I I read it. I can't remember the name. He has another novel that I read in the Mm nineties that is also about the same eighties excess, all that. But I forgot the name of it, Glamorama or something like that. Um, But my impression of him comes from the movies that were made of his books. So. Less than zero was my first introduction to him. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't read Less than zero just the movie. Yeah, I didn't either. And so he's always writing about kind of the excesses of the 80s, sex drugs and power and all that stuff and so I don't know if uh, if my view of him is colored by the way the the filmmakers adapted his works. Mm-hmm. Um put his work on screen, right? right. So But then I guess he has a reputation, right?
0: I feel that for Brett Easton Ellis, I like him. I know he's controversial. I feel like he's a little shit, but he's really funny. And I like his sense of humor. Like, he reminds me of Marco a little bit. <laughs> like, like, he is the OG internet troll in physical form. Like, he wants to set a fucking fire just to see the reaction, but he doesn't really mean harm. He just wants to get people thinking, you know? He wants to mm-hmm. cause a reaction. And he is notorious for um, bagging on millennials. He does not like the millennials. Because, I mean, if you think about it, he is the, the voice of the 80s, like mid to late 80s and early 90s. He was the voice of that generation and so he calls the next generation the worst gen- i mean not gen x but he calls the next generation like generation wuss he says he triggers millennials like no other he blames woke culture and he gets a kick out of it and there's a part of me that finds that really amusing <laughs> like <laughs> oh, he's I wrong. see. wrong so
1: so is this okay so i think you discovered what i discovered i always
0: like he could be problematic, but at the same time, he's not really. He's just fucking with everybody. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know him personally, but to me, it always seemed he's a person of his time, right? Right. So he's
0: the Truman Capote of the mid to late '80s. Like he's talking about and, cocaine on yeah, Wall Street and having this, which was like, wicked going sense on. Yeah.
1: So I think to me it's like okay, so he's depicting a period in time, mm-hmm. and everything that he's depicting comes with a kind of lens, right? Yeah. So I I don't know. To me, he's kind of like a the Quentin Tarantino of novels, I right? Know. Commenting on pop culture of the time. Right. Well, before Quentin Tarantino comes later, but it's that similar thing. So I, but I don't know him personally. I don't know if he has gotten in trouble. Personally, no, with sexual harassment or anything very, like that. Now, no, he's
0: a polarizing figure because I I looked him up um to see I'm like is he gay is he bi is he straight and there were so many fascinating articles on him saying of like if I came out as my sexuality while I was promoting these books they would have been taken totally different for the reader it would be a completely different person. Oh, so he's gay. He is gay. He's claimed he was bi for the longest time, and then he officially has a partner. Yes, he's gay.
1: Ah so okay, is that okay, that not makes me like him even more. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no, so he's you know who he's like? I know who he's like. So I think Brenn Eston Ellis to me, now that I find out I didn't realize he was gay, I mean that makes a lot of sense. Um um equates to Greg Araki, our filmmaker friend. Remember we went to see Firewalk with Fire me, walk his with favorite me, him. movie. Yeah, he's with amazing.
0: Him. I really dig him. I think he's a cool guy.
1: But he's also gotten in trouble like he's a polarizing figure the same way you're describing where like his representations of violence and sexuality are like in your face and they're reflecting, in his case, the early 90s. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know how to take his movies. And so he became famous for being that kind of, like you say, polarizing figure. But to me, Gregoraki
0: Um, movies are not shocking. I think they're artfully done. And so there's the difference between having somebody that wants to push the boundary a little too much. And then, and I feel like Mary Heron and Gregoraki kind of do this interesting social commentary where the sex is more shocking than the violence. Yes? Yes. No? Yes.
1: Well, I mean, she. we'll, we'll get into what she okay. changed, right. right? What she changed from. But I'm just thinking of because I did read that book. I think it's called Glamorama. It's about the um, models and like the fashion oh, industry yes. in New York. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's you know very much, book. very much like American Psycho, but with models. Okay. Um.
0: Sounds and delicious. And sounds it great. was like
1: again, he's he's commenting on our perception of what the modeling life is like and that life of excess and living on your image mm-hmm. and, you know, superficiality, excess, sex, all this drugs, the whole tamale, right? Again, I can't judge Americans. I haven't read the novel. I confess. So I'm only judging. I the story actually base. feel
0: like <gasps> I won up to you on this. Yes. Yes. yes you yes, read it. Of course. <gasps> yes. I read it when oh, I was younger. Oh, so you can
1: compare. Yes. Okay. <gasps> Yay.
0: Gee, this pupil has become... The, no, I will never teach you. You teach me everything. Like, no, I'm not even a joke. But no, I remember reading the book and seeing this movie. And oh, so
1: you did it before? Yes. Like in I, I did one of those again.
0: before when I was a teenager. I'm like, what was going on with me then? But <laughs> I remember reading the book, seeing this, and then later in life, I never revisited the book. Because the book to me was very disturbing. And then the movie itself was a different animal, which I'm going to talk about Gloria Steinem. When Gloria Steinem oh, read... She was, yes, oh, she was yeah, Oh, she was, was not having it. She was like, this violence towards women? Are you fucking kidding me? Gloria Steinem read this book and she was like, fuck this. And there was like a movie option at the time and she was aware of it. She hated this book. She was like, this is really, really bad for women. And... Leonardo DiCaprio at one point was attached to be part of this movie. And Mary, Mary Heron, the entire time, which I'm sure you know, she was just like, I want Christian Bale. Is Christian Bale or bust. Like she was so committed to getting him. He was like, This is the only director for me. And I find that so beautiful a director and actor being like, I believe in you and you believe in me. And we're just like thumb on Louis'ing this. We're going off the fucking cliff together. He was getting all these calls of saying if you do this it's career suicide yada yada the studio because of course they're not into female directors they're like what if we do Oliver Stone what if we do this and Cronenberg was attached at one point and they yes. was like did you read about this I had the no Cro- clue Cronenberg
1: the Cronenberg hated so many things about the book
0: Uh, He was like, I
1: want to do it this other way.
0: He's like, I like fucked up stuff, but what if we do it in this other fucked up fashion? Like, apparently there was a musical number at the end of the movie on top of the World Trade Center. That would have been an interesting rewatch. I'm just (laughs) saying. (laughs) I do want to
1: see, I would have been curious to see Cronenberg's version. I think it would have been, yeah. He would have done something
0: very different. It would have been very different. And also with Leo, you know, at the time, True. I get it. He just came off of Titanic. We don't want 13-year-old girls coming to see American Psycho. <laughs> but <laughs> I-, but he, I
1: think he was at th- he. I remember thinking that he was going to do it. Yeah. I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. Very specifically, it, the
0: studios wanted him, and so Mary really fought for Christian Bale, and Christian Bale was just like, "I'm doing this movie. Like Mary and I are doing this." He did this like weird secret shit where he's just like, "Nope, don't care. I've read the trades. Everybody says that Leo's doing it and Oliver Stone's directing. Nope, Mary and I are doing it, and it it came to fruition. Like they totally did this together. But I do want to say, Gloria Steinem." hated this book so much that she took Leonardo DiCaprio to a basketball game and tried to convince him not to do it. I'm just like, this is such a terrible movie. Long game, she married Christian Bale's dad. Yes. Yes. Which is the (laughs) ultimate feminist power move of like, oh, I'm sorry, you're the face of toxic male masculinity in the 80s? I'm fucking your dad. That's a baller. Yes.
1: (laughs) I thought that's what I was like. And it was around that time too, right? It was right after. Yeah. The early 2000s. Yeah.
0: I'm just like, oh, Ah. she's doing it for the cause. (laughs) Get it, girl.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. This whole Gloria Steinem thing, right? So I read the same thing that you did where she really hated the book. So how interesting that the movie gets adapted by Mary Heron. Mm Mm-hmm um and also co-written by guinevere turner. turner
0: which i love the name guinevere i think that's so beautiful and stunning i mean a guinevere not a gwen I, lo-
1: I love her i went i, I went on a, on, a, on a rabbit hole about her career so listeners she's in the movie she plays i think her name is elizabeth she's,
0: she's the hot power not the lesbian hot power- she's a lesbian Les- in real life so and she's like,
1: exactly and she says i'm not a lesbian <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. But I was like, she's so oh.
0: hot. No, anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, sorry, Queen. So, anyway, a,
1: a, a straight woman and a lesbian woman co wrote this adaptation. So, what uh, the book that is considered controversially as the representation of toxic masculinity and misogyny gets adapted by two women, one of them being a lesbian. And, I mean, which, like, and
0: also, and Brett Easton Ellis did say at one point, and this is when nobody really knew his sexual orientation, because he loves, I love that he's just, he's a troll. He just wants to like trigger You wanted people. to play and with people, right? I, I find that fascinating. I think that's really interesting. Um, but he did say that people were gleeful about that. And he's just like, oh, I guess we're putting Brett in his place. These two women are adapting him, And he's just like, I don't care. My stuff's being a musical. My stuff's being a TV show. I don't, I don't care. Like, he, he's, he already moved past it. He didn't have any emotional then, attachment to it, really, in my opinion. But then I
1: have questions for you about the book. Because I, when I was rewatching this okay. nowadays, I realized I saw a whole different movie. And we're going to talk about that. And it's not just a 2021 vision. Mm-hmm. I, it makes sense to me now that Bret Easton Ellis is gay. And so is the book... Then misread or misunderstood? Completely. Mr. Completely. Because um, I, I want to
0: say with Mary Heron and Guinevere Turner adapting this, I want to say that they didn't rewrite this movie because there, there, the dialogue is almost verbatim. The dialogue exactly. Is verbatim. Exactly, I read
1: that too. So it's almost the same. Yeah, okay. but they
0: restructured it they completely okay. restructured it so it is from the female gaze and I'm sure that you can go to town on this this yes, is a this movie is what I, about the female this gaze this is where
1: I want to bring because of course we picked this movie the week that Kira Knightley very dramatically reveals to the world that she's done with the male gaze <laughs> and that she will not be in nude scenes directed by men only by women Woo! Get it, girl. Um, so I was like I had that in my mind when I was watching this last night because this happened yesterday and well, I was unless, like oh,
0: the I hot. what if the director's hot and you're like let's get this <laughs> endgame going I mean we have needs
1: to No, I know and, and it was it very go. interesting because she I read the thing and it was I, I think I understand where she's coming from where it's like we got to stop this these representations are not helping anyone mm-hmm. um, and so and I have we could go on a whole other podcast about the male gaze and oh each director and Just how they then, play with it and how they yeah. they and this is one of the movies that I find where this is done most most interestingly. Yeah. <laughs> um, because that's exactly what was in my mind. And the whole point I was like okay, this is definitely a movie that's supposed to be about toxic masculinity and specifically the male gaze represented in this figure, right? But not only that's it's Patrick
0: it's famous. American the the 1% Toxic male.
1: Exactly. So it's like after, now that we've ended the Trump presidency, this movie acquires all these meanings, which is very interesting, right? Yes, which we'll
0: get does. to. Yes, um,
1: especially since he's mentioned twice in the movie. Did you notice that?
0: Of course I did. <laughs> but we'll It get, made we'll, we'll me get there. nauseous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was very much aware of like, okay, let me see how Mary uh, deals with the male gaze because... This is definitely, the, the book itself is playing with that. And then now that I know that it's really a gay gaze from Easton Ellis. <laughs> it's
0: Alice, a gay gaze.
1: <laughs> it's a gay gaze. So I was thrown for a loop. I think this movie is extremely complex. Yes, and he's, its, he's always the, said, the, though,
0: he's just like, if people knew, it would be taken from a different perspective. And I think he yeah. loves to shock and cause the conversation. There's also an article in The New Yorker, Um, in the past two years and he has like very vocal opinions on Donald Trump and he's not a supporter or a Biden supporter. He's very vague and also asks these like he provokes, he asks these like little stab in the gut questions back to the interviewer, which I find titillating. It's it's really intriguing. He's like a little shit. He's such a little shit, but I wanna watch it. He like throws a match. (laughs) at the gas station and then just like walks away in slow motion. That's who this guy is. It's really intriguing to me.
1: So I think, and I'm telling you this, this movie blew my mind because I remember it as being, oh, it was a cool retro movie with the fun 80s soundtrack. I had the soundtrack always blaring. (laughs) Um, And I always thought of it as this kind of surfacy satire fun thing. I had no idea. I was wrong. I was like, this movie has so many things going on. Right. It's
0: it's (laughs) multi-layered. That's why 2021 as an older human, I'm like, this is a masterpiece. This is a fucking great movie.
1: So 20 years ago, 20 something years ago, I was in my early twenties. So I did not appreciate the complexity of the movie. I remember being aware that it was directed by Mary Herron. And I remember, um, That, you know, Easton Ellis was famous for Less Than Zero, all these things. So, but now I was like, this movie, people did not understood it the first time. Well, at least my generation, my early 20s self. Um, We saw this as a cool thing. And here's the strange part. This movie came around the same time as Fight Club which also right. deals with the same topic
0: which tanked at the box office like you and which i talk about exactly. all the fucking time and it is a cult classic and brilliant
1: and it's brilliant and they're both kind of should be studied together in a way but i remember when and i watched is it, fight is it club it chuck
0: cluster no no who is the author of fight club? chuck chuck
1: palaniuk chuck palaniuk
0: chuck palaniuk did fight Chuck
1: club. yes okay. the, the book and david fincher directed the movie yes Um, which is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie, but I, in that movie, and this is what's interesting, I was very much aware that it was about the male gaze at the time. I was in college. I was like senior year in college. I studied all these things. I read Laura Maloney's essay and all that. So that movie, I was very much aware uh, with what David Fincher was doing and I was, like, totally into it. And then, nope, I went to that movie. There was no one else in the movie theater. It was opening night. It was just me and the movie. Ugh. That's how badly it did at the it box It sounds like office. an amazing experience,
0: honestly.
1: It's ridiculous how badly it did. Um, so, but I thought, I was like, oh, uh, this movie's amazing. No one's watching it. Maybe it's badly marketed. And they tried all these things with the soap and everything. Yeah.
0: It was very commercialized. I'm like, no, this is a dark, wonderful political commentary.
1: And it's brilliant, brilliant film, but it was completely ignored by the Mm zeitgeist. But American Psycho was a huge hit and it made Christian Bale's career. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's probably the concerns. Maybe that's why they let them do it because Fight Club failed. Fight Club bombed. They're like, okay, go marry, go do your movie. (laughs) Okay. They didn't want Oliver Stone anymore or they, or Leonardo DiCaprio because they thought it was going to do badly. And then it did really well. So it's like a tale of two movies dealing with Which, the male gaze. you
0: imagine how bad the Oliver Stone version would have been? <laughs>
1: oh, my God. Can we no, talk
0: no. about that? The Cronenberg version would have no. been cool. The Mary version, the best. Oliver would have been so literal with everything. Yes.
1: It, it would have been too. <laughs> this is a psychological
0: you know, and like it's it's a satire. It would have, fo- it would have focused funny. on the it's-
1: wrong aspects of the book. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't dislike Oliver Stone. I'm like, God bless him. He also has a place in time, right? A, a moment in time.
0: He does.
1: But he's. <laughs> Of the 70s slash 80s directors, he's my least favorite, I say that. Because he he didn't age well, huh? So one of the first things that I, and the rewatch, right? So was that the cinematography, this is a 2000 movie, 2000, Mm -hmm. not too, right? The cinematography was very much 80s. It was like, this looks like an 80s movie. This does not look like a 2000 movie. Right. So they deliberately, and I think this is Mary's choice and the cinematographer's choice, they're like, we want to make this movie look like it was made 20 years before. Like, you
0: want the vibe. You want it to be, like, doing yeah. coconut stall in the 80s. It's
1: literally the lighting. It was. Mm-hmm. It looked like Oliver Stone's Wall Street, <laughs> actually. Um,
0: so, I would never have a were comparison. Going for that. that is interesting. Okay. Yeah.
1: and so i thought it was interesting watching it now in 2021 i was like this i really feel like i'm watching a 40 year old movie not a 20 year old movie in terms of the look so that's interesting and i thought oh that must have taken some it's like you know aging a movie making it look older than it is and so forth so i thought that was really cool and i never really noticed that when i first saw it i was like because because fight club is very glossy very 1999 right right this is not i agree um then the other thing that I thought about in the in the opening sequences is that famous time the first time you see his apartment whoa, which whoa, is whoa. all white. Whoa whoa. whoa. Oh.
0: The credits are Oh the
1: credits. <laughs> the food.
0: The credits. It's about aggressive food prep slash murder. Yeah. A la Dexter. Seeing, yes! Right? Seeing this now, I mean, the first time I saw this, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I get the tone of this movie. But now with Dexter, remember, everybody loves And Hannibal,
1: movie. and Hannibal. Oh, right? yes, and
0: Hannibal about is about the preparation of the kill and the serving and all that and just how savage and delicate and beautiful it all is. It's such a strange and mesmerizing thing thing to watch but even going to the opening scene where um, you have like the aggressive food prep <laughs> the knives going everywhere red and white imagery to the voiceover I was like oh, Dexter you little punk you yep. you showrunners, you just like okay you, you do a little pastiche
1: the other thing that I noticed that I of course the, the scene right up so this is the opening scene with the dinner right right And then he goes into his apartment. I don't know if Mm -hmm. it's like right after, where he like shows you his routine, and it's this voiceover, and you see him peeing in front of the Lemisirab poster. (laughs) Yes, I putting the mask on and all the body. So many comments about
0: this scene. Tell me what you got.
1: (laughs) So number one, everything is white. So immediately I went white supremacy. Literally, the the movie has a white supremacy, not in the political sense, but in the fact that everything is white. Oh. (laughs) and including the wow. first frame it's all white so there's a supremacy of white I did in not see the that because I am visuals.
0: white <laughs> it's like a it, dog everything whistle. is so
1: white and i was like but it's not like I, I literally i thought white supremacy in terms of what you're presenting to me not in terms of race just literally the frame is so freaking white wow <laughs> so, and then i don't know what that means but since you're talking about aesthetics things as the food and the preparation and then you have all this whiteness, white sheets, white wall. Everything was white in that apartment. <gasps> there was barely any black. The other thing that was there was black. So,
0: geez, this is sterile. fascinating. Oh my yeah. God. I love your take on so it.
1: So, I wrote white supremacy. And then the first color that I see in this sequence is the Le poster over the, over the, when he's peeing, mm-hmm. which was so striking because it was the first splash of color. Mm-hmm. And it was like a reflection. No it his pun reflection
0: intended it. with the splashing.
1: <laughs> yes, he was splashing all over it. Um, but I thought, oh, how interesting that he puts. So I thought, what does this mean? Right. So he loves pop culture. He loves music. We learn he uses this throughout the movie. But it's also like everything about him is surfaced. Of course, you live in New York in the 80s. The number one play in Broadway or musical in Broadway is Les Miserables. Yeah, so he has I was poster about to
0: say love is a little bit of a stretch because he is all about status and appearance with this. Appearance, speaker. exactly. So, so yeah, he has the
1: poster there. It has was the appearance.
0: Hamilton of this time. They were just that, like... The
1: remake would be the Hamilton poster. Exactly. Right? <laughs>
0: but like, I also found it so fascinating that they kept reference they referenced it two or three times in the movie where Les Le Le Miz, Le Miz. like we see it in the picture and he's looking at his cold dead face and the reflection mm-hmm. as, as he's peeing and then he's at the dry cleaners in the next scene saying like I have a matinee at Le Miz. in the book in the book
1: oh tell me, tell he wants me. to
0: go to the matinee because he hears that Donald Trump is going to be at the matinee he, uh,
1: hears, that he...
0: he hears that he's into the musical and it's his idol
1: donald trump in that period was that image of success
0: even though he was a con man even
1: though (laughs) the emperor never had any clothes but it's just but the irony is that when you read this movie because one of the main commentaries is that all these people who work in this movie don't really do anything at all it's all surface they don't work
0: exactly yeah they don't do anything
1: which is just like donald trump he didn't do anything as president nope Sorry guys, the, like nothing. The nothing. whole point was all it was all about smoke and mirrors and how it looked.
0: Facade. Nothing
1: there was nothing behind it. And this movie presents that very strongly, so I thought if he's his model, that ma- that actually makes perfect sense.
0: The Lemer's imagery was very multi-layered this rewatch. Um, but I want to say speaking which
1: would work with Hamilton if they if they remade this
0: can i tell you my remake can i tell you my remake (laughs) just like the carrie trans remake this is my remake so he goes uh, into his whole uh face mask and working out and all this other stuff which we all do i mean it's fucking covid
1: oh my god he's a he's an influencer
0: (laughs) oh he's not an influencer he's the influencer he's goop I would cast yes. this as Gwyneth Paltrow with her dead, lifeless eyes, <laughs> applying a $900 caviar egg mask in the mirror. And she's doing her ab crunches to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and going yes, to Hamilton. I love this. <laughs> yes. <I love> this. <laughs> that is my remake. <laughs> I can see that happening. And this time, instead of like killing you know, ha- taking her anger out on the women and everything, she goes to Miramax. She's running her successful goop thing. She goes to Miramax and starts chopping people up. Why not?
1: <laughs> Get her revenge on Harvey Weinstein. There you go. Do it. Um, so, here's one, another interesting thing coming from this scene that then I looked up. So, I was like, I wrote that body, right? Because <gasps> Jesus Christian Christ. Miller looks spectacular <laughs> in this movie. I'm sorry. It was the I had dreams about Christian Bale after this movie. (laughs) Dreams that to this day live in my mind.
0: Which I feel like is a brilliant... Um. (laughs) I mean, Christian Bale is known for transforming his body. Same with De Niro. He's a phenomenal actor, but he really dedicates himself. And he would say, like, even when they weren't optioning this movie for him, where they're like, Leo has this, he's like... Fuck that noise. I'm going to the gym three times a day. I'm getting this movie. Once again, some real secret shit going out in the, to the universe. He just kept going to the gym and eating like a psycho, and this movie happened.
1: And to this day, this is how he works, right? He just, um, his last movie that I remember is Vice, right? Where he played Dick Cheney and he like gained all that weight and he just likes the dramatic. Or when he did the fighter and he was super skinny, like he's all. Uh, Maybe it started with this movie. Every
0: role I want (laughs) to gain all the weight. (laughs) Call me a master at my art and let me eat all the things. (laughs) It's more fun that
1: way. But he like he started his career manipulating his body and became kind of like a thing with him, right? So I said, that body, I said, no more. Just thinking of Vice.
0: Oh, well, he'll get it <laughs> back. He, he that can weight. get it back in a minute. He get, he get
1: it back. He get it back. Yeah. He did Batman. It's fine. Um, but uh, one of the things that I looked up about this movie is that he is naked. Mo- so he is more naked in the movie than he is dressed,
0: oh. which I thought
1: interesting because of again. Of course, you
0: found that interesting.
1: No, 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 because he's, speaking of Keira Knightley and her, like, I don't want to do any nude scenes for male directors, um, this is part of how uh, Mary and Gwynevere reverse the male gaze, because they make, there's more male nudity in the movie than female nudity. There is, I looked that up, proportionally. Yes,
0: but let's talk about that for a second, because I think in male and female roles, and you can tell me as a gay man, I mean, women aren't sending pussy pics to dudes, there's dick pics true. all on the internet. <laughs> Men are they just know, like, "Hey, you want they- me to take it off? Here it is, baby." Like they jump to be naked most of the time. That could be a very chauvinistic statement on my part. Like I could be well, they're trying to impose, but-, but
1: they're not. But they're not known for being the object of.
0: Right. Ice, I, I just right? feel like
1: in cinema in cinema. Yeah. The whole thing of the male gaze, right? They're not being we don't see a lot of naked men in movies. We well, see Matthew way more naked women. Matthew McConaughey,
0: I feel like it's in his contract. It's just like, you know what? If I could travel somewhere and be like had a naked swimming scene, <laughs> I'm in. Don't even pay I'll me. This it. is it. <laughs> but for women it's no, a but, little bit different. But the, a little bit different.
1: But the but it's interesting that and I don't know if this is in the book or not this is a move because it's true representations of female nudity are more prevalent in historically especially not maybe not now but then than male nudity and this movie has more male nudity it's all christian bale
0: yeah
1: so it's all one person he's got a good um, ass
0: really good ass
1: what's so is this You're mary's comment choice? on is christian
0: she- bale's ass
1: yes oh <laughs> dr my God. g
0: phd you comment on this ass
1: No, the whole fucking thing. I was obsessed with it. And I realized, oh my God, there's so much abs, ass, legs, everything. You're just constantly. Because they want you to do do that.
0: They want you to be like, he's a major douchebag. Why wouldn't you just turn this guy off? Who cares if he has all the money in the world? He was like a hot package.
1: But then at the same time, it's a complex game that Mary Heron is playing here Mm -hmm. because. I mean, at least for a gay man, and now that I know that Brett is also gay, this makes it even more interesting. Mm-hmm. So you're making a movie that is about this super misogynistic person who, who kills all these women and so forth and like does horrible things to them. Yet the movie itself becomes about us looking at Christian Bale's insane body. We objectify him as a sexual being. And he's the one, he's the perpetrator. So the perpetrator becomes... The object of desire for the audience, at least for oh, me.
0: Oh, <laughs> gee, I really like this. I agree with you. This is a but then very at the same point.
1: time, he's this like horrible person, right. shell, shell of a human being. Um, so it's very complicated what he's just doing. So you're like attracted, and I'm not attracted to him because he's a monster. Because he's a monster, and I think Mary actually said this in an interview. He's like not likable. He's not cool. So he said he can never be cool. Patrick Mayman has to be the loser guy, at the, and he does. The arc shows that. So he's not cool. He's like a douchebag. He's like a total like insecure. Like at the end of the day, he's just like I, mean, I think Christian Bale does a great job of this. But we still desire his body because it looks really hot.
0: I have one it's word very, for you.
1: Okay, what's your word?
0: Dickmatized.
1: Dickmatized. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the, so it's like the perfect reversing of the male gaze that I've ever That's seen. perfect.
0: I, I agree with that. And also... Because <laughs> he's not
1: cool. You're not admiring him. No, you just the body is insane okay, and beautiful. Well, That's it. Well, that leads <laughs> me
0: to the next scene. Like, okay, they go to... Um, like, we see that... Oh, we glossed over this, but Patrick Bateman goes into an alley and his first on-screen kill is that of a black man.
1: So that guy that he kills, which I believe is the only black... Um, Character in the whole movie is actually played by Reg E. Kelly, who is most famously known for playing Freddy in House of Cards, the guy who owns the barbecue, the barbecue place, the barbecue yes. guy.
0: He's so yes. great. <laughs> who acted against another psychopath, Kevin Spacey Ex-
1: in Kevin, <laughs> and then House of Cards is another heir of America. It's another American psycho mm. story, and in fact, the whole voiceover, everything about it is, um,
0: wow, borrowed from this made film. So that's that's yep i'm into that
1: so house of cars is the new american psycho and then the actor himself became an american psycho (laughs) in real life
0: full circle and
1: sends us creepy christmas videos every year since then Uh,
0: oh kevin speaking of problematic people after he killed a black man in an alley, this rich white guy saying, I'm going to give you a job, I'm going to give you a job, listen to me, and it just stabs him brutally. Nothing's changed there from then to 2021. We are introduced to Jared Leto. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, Jared oh. Leto is notorious for sticking his lawyers on people. So all I'm going to say to protect us in this podcast is if you want to Google something, just Google Jared Leto claims. Just that? <laughs> Just Google that. It could be things that he claimed, things that other people claimed. There's a wealth of information at your fingertips. So Jared Leto is cast at the slimy, slimy weasel. Beautiful casting. <laughs> and he takes uh, uh, Patrick Bateman takes Jared Leto out to a restaurant. They think they see Ivana Trump, which I thought was a fun turn yes, with the feminist. Yes, yes, and I wrote that
1: down. Another. So there's two mentions of Trump. One of them is this one, the Ivana Trump one. The first one is, I think, he thinks he sees him in a limo or something Mm -hmm. um, earlier on. Just wait, but before you go there, before you jumped ahead, you jumped ahead. I want to say a couple of things about Reg E. Cathy's death. All right, because I think that scene resonated strongly because it does represent that white supremacy view of minorities in the United States where they think they're t- they're like, Oh, why don't you work for it? Why don't you do this? Da, 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 when yeah. they don't understand that they it's the system is rigged against them having the opportunity to do so. Right. So it's that it's about white um, privilege. Yeah. The first mention of Donald Trump is when he's with Reese with Reese for the first time Reese Witherspoon, ladies and gentlemen.
0: With her crispy bangs. I was rocking those with crispy cri- bangs <laughs> yes. in middle school. I love it. I called it the wave. It was just like how high you could get your hair.
1: It was awesome. So he looks over; she's talking to him about, and he was always ignoring her. And they say, "Isn't that Donald Trump's car?" And that's the first time we hear his name. Oh. Um. And then the second one is when he's with um Jared Leto, and, and Ivana. he thinks he's, he's Ivana Trump. Um. But before we go into Jared Leto and Paul Allen, I want to talk about two things: the mask. Mm-hmm. which we see in that opening scene where he pulls off the mask. His
0: self-care that we're all doing in quarantine. Uh, yes. <laughs> but to a very different degree. I don't advocate his kind of self-care.
1: But he also kind of, in the voiceover, and this comes from the novel, he talks about the mask of sanity and like oh. how like underneath what appears to be a certain way, he's just insane. Are
0: we getting a little Greek philosophy?
1: Yes, okay. because... I just this idea of wearing masks. And I think the movie plays with this and its conclusion kind of arrives at that, that he is not the person that he's presenting himself to be, which he's telling us all about, but he's also not the person that he's presenting himself to be to the audience. Right. Um, So layers and layers, right? This movie is about layers and layers. I wanted to talk about the satire aspects of the beginning of the movie and all this, um, all the products that he puts on his body, like that scene in the shower and the clothing and this overemphasis on things that are superficial, but you know, they're represented as like putting all the, like five different products when they shower and then like masks and so forth. So I thought this was a great complicated representation of how the male gaze is turned back on itself because the male gaze is all about the objectification of women in cinema, right? So it's mm-hmm. the way that the camera is always looking at them as an object desire. Mm-hmm. And this is why they appear a lot of the time naked. The object of the man, right? I know Desiring where you're going
0: them. and I have an entirely different approach. Well, I- but I know where you're going. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I think this movie, but it's very complicated. And maybe this is where the, our discussion could go into. Okay. I wrote, and I don't have the answer to this, but I was like, this is so complicated that I don't even know how to express it. But I wrote the objectification of the white privileged males objectification. Oh
0: my god! So it's god. like the
1: objectification of the objectification. I don't know <laughs> if
0: you're a slam poet or what at this point. Objectification <laughs> of the objectification. Like, the we're now, objectification. <laughs> yeah,
1: we're now looking and obsessed with and like desiring the the thing that objectifies other things it's very weird but also at the same time there's like a complex commentary on how women have been objectified as superficial as you know they're only they like they all they care about are clothes and handbags and products yet we have this guy who all he cares about is his suits and his products so it's like what's going on here i don't know i have like very all these questions well no i moment. find that
0: Interesting. I find that interesting because yes, um, consumerism, like there's a whole study about um, fake science, especially marketed to women. And then we have the pink tax, all this other stuff. If you look up anything from women's razors to men's razors to diapers, like girl diapers versus boy diapers, there is a slight price difference. I feel this whole entire thing with the self-care, I want to retire the word self-care because originally the phrase is about mental health and doing things for you. Oh. You check in for you and and this whole thing of 2020, we are all doing abundant self-care. We do things and we guise it under self-care. Self-care is whenever you have a conversation with yourself, when you check in with yourself.
1: I like this. Yes, It's, it's
0: very true. And you can, you be like, Oh, I like a massage. I like having my hair done or I do face masks a lot. It's okay to do this stuff, but when you overindulge, you're just like, oh, I'm putting myself first. And you, it, honestly, that's yes. an excuse for narcissism <laughs> and just self indulgence and not giving a fuck about what's going on around you. And in 2020, that can be viewed as a coping mechanism, but we all have empathy. We're all checking in with the world and what's going on. Wait patrick bateman is doing he's prioritizing himself his physical being just to get the acceptance and gain of others he's not doing any kind of self-care self-care for him would be going to a goddamn therapist
1: and and again going off that i like this analysis is the idea that because he's so superficial with everything that the way he presents himself so it's like again the male gaze is about this kind of objectification of women as an object, right? Not right. as a person. So then he himself has objectified himself as this surface that exists. Right. Oh, yes, perfect, for sure. Right. Absolutely. So he, Absolutely. it's like, a, like a, a complicated self-objectification to the point where he himself is not a person. And then to the audience, he's this body and he is almost like a robot like the Terminator or something
0: oh my god but, this is so dead on this is so done on with some of like the things Michael I Myers
1: yes. I, I thought of Michael Myers a lot yes. I was like the mask he has no face, no expression he's trying to All study human stuff.
0: behaviors if you look he's watching porn to be like how do I have sex with people when Willem Dafoe comes in after he kills Jared Leto like which we'll get into really quick mm-hmm. but like Jer- William Dafoe comes into the office and he's like studying him and he puts down the coaster to your point mm-hmm. of like I have to. Prof- I have to protect the surface.
1: So let's talk about Jared Leto. I have things to say. Ugh,
0: so Jared Leto. So he gets an axe to the face. Let's gleefully talk about this entire scene. And to your point about Christian Bale's lack of self awareness, when I first watched this movie, I thought that whole entire iconic scene of chopping him up to hip to be square Huey Lewis in the news. And he like mm-hmm. talks about Huey Lewis. I thought at the time as a little young end that it was all about the symbolism of like, this is white dad, American rock. I love Huey Lewis, by the way, I <laughs> love Huey Lewis. And everybody's very nostalgic for him because of back to the future, you know? And I, I personally just really, he's like America's dad. He just wants everybody to have a good time. I love Huey Lewis. So I thought at the time, it was a commentary on the band or musical taste. Because then later on mm-hmm. in the movie, he goes to Phil Collins, another little soft rock dad thing.
1: And Hello. Whitney Houston, and who Whitney, did not give her rights. You know, she didn't want, she was against yes, the
0: movie. Yes, yes. She was like, so they no, play thanks. this like
1: fake tune that sounds like Whitney. Yeah.
0: So I feel the whole chopping Jared Leto up to hip to be square goes to your point of Christian Bale, Patrick Bateman was never hip. He is always square. Huey Lewis is telling you it's okay. Embrace yourself. Be cool, buddy. It's all right. Be a dork. Dorks. People love dorks. <laughs> he's not having it. He wants to be hip and not square. And he's going to kill anybody that knows anything about and his squareness. I-
1: <laughs> and that pretty much sums up the whole movie. I think this is the the message that Mary Hyatt really wanted. And this is why she wanted um, Christian Bale to play the role. He cannot be cool. He can never be cool. The entire movie, no matter how cool he looks. He's just
0: robotic and alien, alien and a buffoon. He just can't he get is,
1: it. He is square. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point. That's his entire struggle. Mm-hmm. He'll never fit in, fit in or he'll never th- be what he thinks he should be. Which is the same The same is true about Donald Trump his entire fucking life. He's been president of the United States at this point. He'll never be cool. The first scene when Patrick meets Paul and pretends to be the other guy, Halberstam, and they go to this Mexican restaurant, which uh, Paul, a.k.a. Jared Leto, complains about being empty. Again, I thought about you know, they're in a Mexican restaurant. I remember when Donald Trump had the whole like Mexican taco salad thing. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this when he was campaigning? Oh my God. About how they use minorities as a kind of...
0: Oh, to pawn. this day, Ivana and, or no, Ivanka and those Goya beans or whatever the
1: Yes, and the Goya beans. So, and is, this is the restaurant where they spot Ivana, mm-hmm. her mother. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I thought I don't know that that triggered me in a very strange and specific way, you know, especially since Donald Trump became the president of the wall, putting, you know, leave Mexicans are rapists and all this stuff. So the way white privilege takes minorities and puts them in this kind of box. And this is the second scene. The first one is the one with Reggie Casey, right? Where he kills 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 black black people are homeless. It's the stereotype of black men um, in in 80s movies homeless homeless poor.
0: crack whore like, yeah, I and mean, all that the, stuff the yeah back
1: the, the bad side of town and then with mexicans it was like mexican food and coronas they have coronas and so mm-hmm. these stereotypes are are played with in these scenes but mary doesn't in a very smart way right so i you know for a movie about white privilege and toxic masculinity, they are representations of the minorities mm-hmm. throughout in these small little details and scenes. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Also the fact that Paul Allen is actually Patrick ba- Bateman's doppelganger. They look exactly the same. They're dressed exactly the same. They almost have the same Paul Patrick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he's obsessed with him and he wants to kill him, but he's really killing himself. So it's really about insecurity.
0: I thought that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's slashing up his ideals of who he is. Mm-hmm.
1: And then I think they, again, going, talking about this whole idea of the tanning comment was so interesting to me. When he says, Oh, where do you go tan? Remember this scene where they're like, Oh, you look so tan. Right. Like, tanning salons. and right. And, and I was like oh interesting what a Kardashian moment I don't know it was just very odd well the entire self care thing the overindulgence yourself, yeah. of self care is no.
0: is a Kardashian moment because it's not about mental health it's about being appeasing to other people and getting your self worth through their eyes.
1: Exactly the other thing that I thought about around this point was he talks about I think this is in the scene with um, Willem Dafoe where he talks about that Yale thing and how like Paul went to Yale and whether he was gay or something. And honestly, I realized, oh, my God, I went to school with people like this. I went to Princeton. So I know this entire Ivy League white privilege culture is very familiar to me. Mm. So when he started saying about the, which is really a joke, there is no difference between Yale and Harvard people. It is really (laughs) funny to have someone who went to Harvard make fun of someone who went to Yale because it's like comparing one with one. Right. Right. Like, they're both the number one school.
0: Well, because everyone's <laughs> Princeton being... is
1: also the, the three of them. Yes. Princeton, Harvard, and Yale. And so there was always this weird thing. I was like, oh, you're going to Harvard. Who gives a fuck? It's, uh, it's also I'm actually silly. a little
0: uh-huh. disappointed that you went to an Ivy League school and you don't have a skincare regimen like mine.
1: I know i know i don't even know where my i
0: am georgia trash and i (laughs) moisturize my shit and exfoliate (laughs) like no other
1: and i lose my freaking (laughs) sunscreen all the time i know i'm the worst um no but it's like i i I know this world i actually part of what this movie reminds me of is when I, i i was gonna go to law school at duke After graduating from Princeton, and I went to this like the Chrysler. Did I tell you about this? I went to the Chrysler Building to like the top. There was this law firm (laughs) at the top of the Chrysler Building, and it was like I was in Tom Cruise's The Firm, that movie, The Firm with Tom Cruise. And it was so bizarre. It was everyone was from Yale, Harvard, or Princeton at this like soirée for people who wanted to go to law school. And that whole world—it's exactly like this. I swear to God, this is not that far from the reality.
0: So, Patrick Rayman goes looking for hookers. He picks up Kara Seymour. She's under the freeway. And she's been in what, G? She was, like, in a bad Education. Adaptation, You
1: Got Mail, and Education. She's kind of been around for a very, 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 very long time. And Appears in like supporting roles in big movies. Gangs of New York. She's worked with everyone. Yeah, I, and in. she has a
0: great face, and I liked her performance. I thought this was such a subtle ordeal. I really liked her.
1: And you follow her. Like I think this is where Mary heron and probably Gwyneth in her writing, you follow her arc. Like the first time she meets Patrick, the second time she meets him, and then it all climaxes and that crazy because right. it, it's
0: without doing the entire camera angle of just like oh we're gonna take over from this person's perspective but they do focus on her listening when Patrick Bateman is spouting out his useless pop-up trivia fucking knowledge about bands mm-hmm. and she actually really listens she wants to be educated she wants to get more out of her experience I thought her performance was really elevated it was really good Um so She's also
1: smart. I feel like she's smart. Yeah,
0: she's a smart chick. She just has some hard Yeah, she needs the money.
1: She needs the money. Yeah, so she's under the
0: freeway. But they wanted to establish that she's she's like a knock-around girl. Like, she's going to take anything. And hence, they call the high-end escort. But immediately, Patrick Bateman starts negging both of them. He's like, okay, I'm going to give you the world. And, oh, I'm going to fuck you up. The high-end escort he immediately has a distaste for. The high-end escort he comes in and he starts like nagging on her ha- her hair color and and yeah
1: she's and, like oh you're more of a dirty blonde she was really a redhead That's,
0: yeah. yeah and he was she was like okay whatever I'll go with it don't give a shit but she's like clearly taking care of herself and making a living doing this and you can tell he resents that fact and the fact that you see this performance. That gets such a subtext is amazing. Hence the female gaze. He hates this woman for being just as successful as he is. And then they go on this awkward, terrible date where they don't give a fuck what he does. He's like, here's my title. And don't you guys want to know what I do? And this is an expensive chardonnay. They're like, we don't give a (laughs) shit, buddy. We don't give a shit.
1: And again, to me, this is one of the best sequences in the movie because the way... Mary directed both of those actresses they're reacting and like you follow them You, they don't fall for this they don't fall for being the object of his affection or his fantasy yeah, no, like, whatever we the got fuck a he job. wants to do like, we, we, got a job. Do we this, gotta do this even fine. when he inst- instructs her to dance and he gives him instructions she's like oh okay I'm gonna dance and there's no, emotion. All,
0: no emotion involved they're there is just no like, sexiness fine.
1: whatsoever the only it, and I wrote this down this is the To me, the staple of the movie is that scene where he's having sex with both of them and he's recording himself while looking at himself in the mirror. Yeah, just
0: checking himself out the entire time.
1: Completely about narcissism. For sure. And again, I wrote again, objectification of the objectification. (laughs) Because you're following our... Our our gaze as audience members, the gaze of the camera is the person that objectifies everyone else because he's objectifying himself because Mm -hmm. he's looking at himself in the mirror and himself in the camera. And in fact, the female, the girls, their nudity is almost like you don't really see it. It's so small, this screen. It's kind of like overlooked. Well,
0: more. that was the rating. <laughs> that was the NC-17 rating. She had to cut, I don't know the exact amount of times. Uh, it was either 10 to 18 seconds of where she had to cut the three-way so it wouldn't get the NC-17 rating.
1: But I bet you it's, you know you know what it is? It's the thrusting. So they make them cost the, the thrusting. That's the so of thrusting. fucked up. There are so- people
0: that getting axed in the face and chainsaws to the head but then ten seconds of fucking. No, but then fucking, you can't
1: thrust a couple of times. You can't thrust.
0: Oh my god! Like that. This
1: is America, this people. Is America. This is America. This is America. As childish Gambino would say.
0: Yeah, thrusting well, yeah. is worth and, that chainsaw. In the remake, Gwyneth <laughs> would be talking about her Fabrice vagina egg. To this is America, as it plays in the background.
1: <laughs> exactly, and she will talk about Beyonce. <laughs>
0: how important she is
1: <laughs> i was like oh my god oh i want this remake it should be such a- oh my god i love it so um,
0: but i do want to tell you what i thought in 2021 watching this scene we have a different stigma about sex workers in the mm-hmm, 80s it's very just like hooker hooker everybody's doing this for drugs or they just can't pay their rent blah 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 this is the this is a trade. This is a trade that you should treat with respect. Some states are more liberal. Uh, uh, there, some states are more liberal than others with it, but sex workers have more dignity in this day and age. So we got that. But I also thought about JLo and hustlers during this entire time because
1: interesting.
0: <laughs> because <laughs> one girl is wearing all black, another girl is wearing all white. I'm like, oh God, Jesus, we're doing the whole Madonna horror complex, which given through the eyes of the female director, you're like, yeah, a lot of men have this. A lot of men have this. Are you a Jackie or a Marilyn? That would happen in the 60s to today, to the 2000s of like, are you a bad girl? Or are you a good girl? It is like this inherited strange fetish. Therefore, J.Lo gave the best pole dance of all time on screen. I mean, to be rivaled by Elizabeth Berkeley and Showgirls, just going to yes, say. Yes, I mean, Give it was a close props. to. Yes. And- JLo, a year ago, gave such a great pole dance and owned it, and it was empowering and wonderful, and her body's on fire, and this woman is, like, 50. And then guess who sang at the White House, bitches? I mean, such an inspiring moment. Just teaching That's women true. not to be like, you can only be one or the other. William Defoe comes back to the office. Um, we have Bale fucking his mistress, who has just mm-hmm. checked out. I didn't get anything from this mistress character. I really wanted to read deeper into it, but I
1: oh Samantha Mathis yeah yeah like she I just thought she was
0: pointless.
1: She's been in other stuff and she's a great actress, but But yeah for the character I I feel like it was just like like, oh successful like
0: he thinks that he has somebody that understands him, but really it's his secretary Chloe Sevigny.
1: Chloe Zavigny, is, who is a national treasure she is at this point.
0: Phenomenal. She's, I love
1: Chloe Zavigny. She's a fantastic
0: actress in person. I really like her. And we didn't discuss her opening scene because I feel like we're just going to have like a little section dedicated to Chloe at this yes, moment. Yes,
1: because I, one of the things I wanted to say about Chloe is that she's the only, and this is a fun fact, that she's the only person in the entire movie who has the scene without Christian Bale. There's only one scene in the movie that Christian Bale is not in and there's a scene with Chloe Sevigny and it's at the end of the movie. What?
0: Oh, I didn't even realize that. I know exactly the scene you're talking about, but I did not. With the 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 diary. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's the only scene that he's not in. The whole movie is from his perspective and so we get a Chloe Sevigny perspective at that moment and that's the only time the movie pulls out of his head.
0: Ah Wow. Chloe. Chloe. Don't
1: fuck with her. Oh, okay. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about maybe around this scene, um, is that I in my twenty twenty one revisit, the movie was much more horrific than I remembered. I remembered it much more as a satirical comedy oh. than I did as a horror film.
0: Well and I saw the life that this, we've been that- living the past few years. <laughs>
1: So the movie has grown, I think, or aged much more into a horror film than I originally remembered. Mm. I remember the satire, I remember the the wittiness, I remember the irony, Mm. but I thought this movie had a lot of really good horror moments and horror scenes and tension and things that caused me anxiety, and I don't know if that's because of what's happened, (laughs)
0: for sure that's but, why yeah you're well yeah you're triggered by this i
1: mean that we'll, we'll get to it but that chainsaw scene is insane exactly well yeah it's
0: like that's the climax that's like what we're all feeling at the end of 2020 <laughs> to 2020. to january 2021
1: that's 2020 chasing 2021 off <laughs> of the freaking deep end um so oh so now since we're talking about Two things I want to talk about. Number one is the scene with um, I think his name is Matt Ross, the actor. Mm -hmm. He is the fiance of the the person that he's having the affair with, Samantha. So if anyone remembers him, he was in Big Love. That's what I know him from, Matt Ross. He Mm -hmm. was the he kind of plays the son of the
0: just a good looking white guy. That's all you need to know. He's like a basic white guy.
1: But he plays the gay character. He has the gay twist in the bathroom. It's like, ooh, he thinks he's going to kill him. And then he... But so I thought it was interesting that the gay encounter destroys him. He, he runs away.
0: I remember it was this whole scene of where Patrick Bateman puts his hand over his mouth. And then like he starts kissing his hand. And that's when he thinks that he's coming on to him. Exactly, and yes. And then he runs away because he's just like, oh, shit, like this didn't work out. And so he's like more cowardly in his outward feelings.
1: What I found surprising about it in the rewatch is that there's no, because of course, we and we will get to the end. Maybe all of the violence in the movie was imagined by Patrick, right? Mm-hmm. There's two ways of interpreting this. Mm-hmm. But it's the only time in the movie where there's a crack in the fantasy of violence. So through the whole movie, Patrick is this violent person. He kills these women. He kills everyone. But then this mo- this guy comes oh, well, onto him. That's a good him. point. Like he comes and to him with just, tender he kisses. He comes undone. He comes he
0: to him just... with tender kisses of just like, oh, you see me, and I didn't expect this. Like nobody's he ever runs, had an emotional yeah. reaction. To Patrick Bateman, but Patrick Bateman does not know how to receive an emotional reaction. Yeah,
1: and, it, and he doesn't react violently or anything. He but doesn't he doesn't react do the way it. that the guy wants. <laughs> so
0: he's like, "Oh my god, I'm the asshole!" Because once again, that kind of displays '80s f- homophobia. You know, it's but-, like,
1: but it's also like it wasn't even in the picture. So when ho- when a homoerotic moment is introduced, it doesn't even fit. The narrative of violence But honestly if I was I,
0: mad I'd be like You work out every day And take care of your skin Of course you're fucking gay <laughs>
1: <laughs> No I think that's The ironic commentary That Brad is trying to say And maybe Mary's picking This is my whole I have a gay communist Interpretation of this movie This whole Wait, movie is about
0: let, Let's what? recast this Instead of Gwyneth It's Ryan Seacrest
1: Yes Perfect <laughs> It's the straight guy Who thinks he's straight <laughs> and really believes the fantasy of his own straightness yes. that's how I interpret this movie because the only moment where he comes undone is the gay moment there is no violence there's no fantasy of he doesn't beat up the gay guy he doesn't smash him against the mirror
0: right there's there's like no he just like... becomes
1: like a little kitten and runs away like a like like he's like Mah! and then he runs away <laughs> This is an excellent so I thought <laughs> I thought it was so surprising it was one of the most surprising moments in the film you see, all of this, like, facade of macho violence and uh, chainsaws and knives and, like, always t- having <laughs> something to say. No one can stop me from talking. And then,
0: like, kiss my hand. He wow. runs away.
1: Kiss my hand and he <laughs> runs away and he's like. And so it was a surprising moment. It was, like, an unmasking moment. Oh,
0: interesting. And it, it stood, I really out. Like it stood out. I really
1: like your interpretation. I really
0: like Really, It really stood out. Okay.
1: So, It colored my interpretation. I really like it.
0: I'm into it. And
1: I think since Gwyneth Turner co-wrote this, I mean, I know she's a lesbian, but she maybe she's kind of she's bringing her gay eye to it. After this whole gay moment that kind of destroys him, his facade, and kind of creates a crack in the film for me. He has to see when he asks Chloe out, the the secretary,
0: because his masculinity is hurt. is hurt so then he he goes to her and she's like this vulnerable little kitten that really does see him for who he is for who he is he really does
1: so he invites her over and they're gonna she goes over to his place and here's another interesting moment right they have that whole ice cream moment where he's trying to figure out how he's gonna kill her and like and again he can't do it he lets her go and so and I thought Chloe was great in this scene. She's She's trying to put the ice cream in. There's, again, two moments back to back where two different people do something to him when he doesn't know how to act or f- how to be part of the narrative. These two sequences were the, the most interesting mm-hmm. in the movie because they disown him mm-hmm. as, a, as a character and as a figure who who presents only the facade. It's like they pull, it's like Michael Myers, they pull the mask out and look at his face. And Mm -hmm. then he lets them go. He doesn't kill them. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: If we want to interpret it all as a fantasy, there's no fantasy of killing them. Right. Um, And going
0: to the serial killer motif, which makes this a horror and not a dark comedy.
1: (laughs) Exactly. This is definitely a horror. He picks up awesome Kara Seymour again from the streets and convinces her for a second. Um, threesome with another kind of—he likes mixing the person that he picked up for the street with someone with a lot of power, a lot of high class. Yeah, so and and she instance, even says
0: of just like, "Oh, you fucked me up last time. I had to go to the emergency room." Like he did some sadistic stuff after the three-way, and she's like, "No, I'm not doing this." Like she's a girl on the streets; she's got her wits about her, but he convinces her. And her entire listening and learning camera angles, like it's fascinating. It's amazing. It's so. I get
1: This is Mary doing something I genius agree. here. The
0: female gaze. Um,
1: because you do, you do. Even though she's not the protagonist, she's not the perspective that we're getting. Mm-hmm. You do flip to her side, and it's all Kara Seymour's performance. Um, and so we're introduced to the co-writer of the movie, Winnie Turner. Who plays Elizabeth, who is not a lesbian, but it is a lesbian.
0: In real life. So,
1: in real life. She's worked on the the L word,
0: and she's like this power persona, and she's hot. She's a hot lady.
1: (laughs) So, this probably, to me, is the most intense sequence in the movie. It's the Texas Chainsaw payoff, Mm -hmm. right? When he is with Elizabeth and Kara Seymour, and then, of course, she has her very much like Laurie Laurie Strode um, final girl moment where Mm -hmm. she discovers all the bodies in the house and runs all over and he's Mm -hmm. running after her Mm -hmm. with a chainsaw. And then eventually she dies when he throws the chainsaw down the the stairwell. But again, I find this scene amazing because even though this is like the chase, the final girl chase, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He is completely naked.
0: Well, yeah, he he shows up (laughs) naked. And also, he shows up cartoony, like, because he was doing those ab crunches to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He thinks, like, oh, in order to kill somebody, this is what I need to do. Once again, to your point, he's a robot. He's an alien child. He doesn't know how to manufacture an independent thought or action. It's just all mimicked. All mimicked. It's all a facade. So he comes through, and he, like, with a hot body... And then he has the chainsaw and chases her. And then we see the reveal of all these bodies in the closet. We see Jared Leto's mm-hmm. face in the which is a very much a,
1: a Halloween ending of Halloween moment. Yeah.
0: And then, um, what you pointed out, she runs down the stairs, and we're rooting for her. This is one character in this whole atmosphere of vapidness. We are rooting for this exactly. girl exactly.
1: And it's very small, right? It's like a
0: tiny. She doesn't really tiny- say I don't. She says like a few lines in this entire movie. And But
1: we follow her. She's our like she's mm-hmm. our empath empath empathy because it's a movie with a complete lack of empathy, yes. right? Because it's about a sociopath, psychopath. Right. So our empathy runs where it can. And in because everyone's so vapid, including all the other supporting characters, Yeah, Reese, like, the mistress, like Reese Justin, all the friends.
0: And, everybody. Um, they so just have no currency except for brands and restaurants and yeah, so she's and running, and so he chases her, and just like as a, as a whim, throws the chainsaw. And there's like kind of that fun vertigo shot.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, Where he looks down the the stairwell, the stairwell and throws the chainsaw. Like, so here's the interesting thing about this scene. and I'm going to leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Is that for a movie that's commenting on the male gaze and the say on representation of female, maybe of women as victims in horror movies, like. This is a perfect scene, right? Mm-hmm. A woman is being chased by the killer, right? Usually in a horror movie, she would be naked or running away. And then this, all I can think of in that scene is his ass covered in blood. <laughs> so it has completely... That's the image I remember the most. I don't Does know if that turn you on? You? Maybe.
0: I mean, he has a great <laughs> ass.
1: <laughs> but it's like, I'm not thinking of her body being chopped up by right, him. Right, I'm we're, thinking of his ass to your running. Point, yes, it's like his body
0: is the focal point of all exactly. these things. exactly,
1: Including in the scene where he's the perpetrator. Right. So I don't think of her as an objectified
0: right. woman. You're like, body oh parts. man, you die. I think of his
1: ass, which he is did some, like, at the same time ridiculous, yet hot. <laughs> So this movie manages to combine again. He's never cool, and I think Mary Harron really wanted his character never to be not hip. He's not hip. He's never cool, but he's hot.
0: Also, in the scene, I thought in twenty twenty one Vision of when he goes to the closet, and there's like Jared Leto and the other girls, and there's words written like very maniacally of like die yuppie scum. Like it's all so hatred
1: self-hatred yeah I thought the same thing too
0: had nothing to think but this capital uprising where they were just writing on walls and wrecking the offices and writing on senators notes everything like that
1: before we get to the end
0: okay.
1: um, the final sequences I want he there's a recurring uh, line that he says I want to, I have to return some videotapes remember he's always saying this Mm-hmm. And I was like, this was his excuse for everything. I have to return some videotapes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, to blame media. 80s. I feel like it was also to yeah. blame
0: media on everything, the Tipper Gore syndrome.
1: Another thing that I thought was kind of interesting, we see the Twin Towers in that one sequence.
0: Where the musical number was <coughs> to happen.
1: And the Twin Towers fell down a year later. This movie came out in 2000. I actually looked this up at this moment. So this was one of the last movies with the actual Twin Towers in them. And yet they come, they appear as a symbol of Wall Street and power and double penis. Double
0: penis, double dick,
1: <laughs> double, double dick, dick
0: syndrome.
1: But in that scene with the twin towers, it's also when he starts shooting at the cop cars and they start blowing up and you start realizing that it's all kind of like a movie or a fantasy or mm-hmm. larger than live action piece, mm-hmm. which maybe I think it's why Cronenberg wanted to do a musical number. It's like to, bring in the movie-esque aspect of it. but To make it more than exaggerated
0: it, than what it was?
1: Yeah, so because it's the moment where he realizes that it's not real.
0: To accentuate your point, what happens in the book and in the movie, he goes to the ATM, and the ATM is like, feed me the kitten. To what you were saying, he has this entire dramatic shootout with the cops, he, sh- he shoots at the cop car, it blows up, and he looks at the gun in disbelief, kind of like, what's happening with this? He goes to... Um, his His building, he kills the the night guard, like shoots him in the head. He's like on a fucking rampage. Like shit starts getting nuts in this act.
1: And this is also, and when you hear the helicopter sounds, right, and so it's like that chaos, the chaos, and you think he thinks he's gonna get finally caught, right? And he calls his lawyer, and there's this the scene which I think. Christian Bale said he did like, I don't know how many takes of it because he wanted it to be perfect. Mm. Um, His whole breakdown with a lawyer where he he's calling Rudy Giuliani and telling every, everything that he's (laughs) done.
0: Giuliani means something else in (laughs) 2021.
1: His call to the lawyer and he's like, kind of like breakdown where he like admits everything. It's this moment of utmost delusion because we've also realized that it's not real. And so it's when he believes is the most to be true. So it's, Kind of like a Sunset Boulevard twist again, where he's like, oh, my God, I killed all these people. And apparently in this scene, all everything that in, they did this on purpose, everything that he references are things that we didn't see in the movie. they are scenes that were cut from the book. Right. You notice this? Mm-hmm. So it, I think she wanted it. because She changed the book. Right. And they didn't include everything. Right. It's just the dialogue. The
0: dialogue was almost verbatim. But he, she did change some of the the structure the scenes like Mm -hmm. bethany
1: his ex-girlfriend never appears in the movie but Mm -hmm. she so it made it seem even more crazy that he's talking about things that we haven't even seen in the movie like
0: he's having a psychological breakdown
1: exactly so it's like he's in full breakdown mode and then of course we have the moment where he puts on the N95 mask. Which I, I went, know. I read what that? the
0: what? That was too close to my reality. I was like freaking <laughs> I was like, out. I, went, I had all I these not notes about this.
1: masks and then it ends with an N95. <gasps> my mind was blown.
0: So whenever he's, he's crying and admitting all of his faults and he's like, I killed so many people and admitting to all these atrocities. I just turned to jack and i was like i think this is what trump left on biden's desk on that letter i think it was a very like 15 page
1: en- rant Yep, it was an
0: emphatic because biden said it was very generous
1: generous and personal
0: so um i think this is it i think this is the manifesto <laughs>
1: Or maybe it was the little agenda book that little Miss Chloe Zavigny finds in the drawer in his office. It was full of of disturbing drawings. (laughs) Generous and personal again. Generous and personal. I just have one quick little note. So when he goes to Jared Leto's apartment, it's all painted white again. I know, this this white symbolism. When he he puts on the mask. Mm -hmm. Um, He has this scene with the realtor.
0: The realtor, the realtor, the realtor,
1: and it was to me it was a very Lynchian scene. I and
0: agree. I I put notes about this scene because she was a an older woman. We haven't seen a yeah. lot of older women in this, and she had power. And she told him to get the fuck out of there. Like Chloe kind of knows, like she Chloe knows who he is, but she's. Tap dancing around everything this woman knows exactly who the fuck this guy is and
1: i thought it, to me was the most one of the most impactful scenes yeah for that for the same reason like and then he leaves remember he's yeah, so scared he of scampers her scampers away um once again like, like to, to, to your kitten, point, like a kitten
0: but to your point with the the gay guy and then with chloe and this woman whenever he's seen for who he is
1: he, he he's the most cowardly person yeah
0: he's a piece of shit there
1: is so i actually looked right to find out, this woman was so impactful that I tried to find out who she was, but I couldn't find out who she was. Oh. The actress, I was like, Who is this actress? Oh my god, and it, it, she it was reminded so good. me of a Lynchian scene. I was like, This is very Mulholland Drive, something about this. And, and Mulholland Drive was made actually the same year, but later that year. <laughs> So
0: um, Justin Thoreau had a fucking year then. He was in this and Mulholland Drive.
1: Mulholland Drive actually came out in 2001 because originally it was a TV series, right? It was supposed to be his new Twin Peaks. So they shot the pilot um, in 2000. So it, even though it was kind of made around the same time as, or oh, part of the movie was made around the same time as American Psycho, it didn't come out until a year later. Mm. But I saw a lot of connections. So it definitely. Justin Thoreau was not known yet from this is like the Drive East this Side
0: of Drive.
1: Yes. <laughs> um and so another interesting thing, and maybe you know this, they changed the, the when this movie took place. I would leave the book takes place in nineteen eighty nine and then movie takes place in nineteen eighty seven. And I think the reason is that Mary wanted to finish with that Reagan clip with his last yes. speech in office. Yeah, Which matches our present moment when we have now seen Trump leave office, just like Reagan left office in 1987.
0: I do think that this was really important to end on him on a monitor and Justin Thoreau commenting about like, it's all about visuals. It's nothing about what's inside. Like, right. Is that what he said? Mm-hmm. Yes. He yes. said, oh, um, there's no <sighs> fuck. I can't remember what he said. It's like he presents himself differently. It doesn't matter what's inside.
1: But it's also significant that that was actually his last speech ever.
0: I didn't realize it was like his exit speech. So just kind of like, okay, Mm -hmm. goodbye, everybody. And I'm just going to point out that Trump's goodbye speech held at his weird, strange prom in Maryland with like a dozen maskless people. He's just like, (laughs) have a good life. Have a good life, everybody. He said, have a good life. (laughs) It's like what a 12-year-old would say to people on the last day of school. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So what I took from this is that Patrick Bateman, he wants his pain to be inflicted on others. There is no catharsis. There is no deeper knowledge of himself. He gains Mm -hmm. nothing from this. And I feel like all these themes are heavily explored and Dr. Mary Trump's too much and never enough. (laughs) I read this book. I feel like it's a great companion piece to American psycho. Honestly, it's how to inflict damage upon other people while feeling good about yourself.
1: And that's exactly what sums up the last four years and the end of this movie. (laughs) So I thought, when I saw the end and the, he gives us sl- the last speech about you learn nothing from this. It's like, that's exactly how I feel about the end of the Trump era. It's like, it's just a delete.
0: It's <laughs> delete just a, the like four years. none of this happened. This is a blip in time. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe retrospectively, a Huey Lewis of just like <laughs> back to the future. We all faded. We all <laughs> faded in the photograph. <laughs> None of this happened.
1: It didn't happen. So it's very strange that it does this vapid era that traumatized us, that caused violence upon us literally on January 6th, literally caused violence, um, traumatic. It almost kind of never happened. It just kind of disappears. It was all a fantasy. The violence was not there. It's just very, and it feels like the way this movie ends, where like we don't really know whether Patrick actually killed anyone or didn't do right. anything at all. And however, right? this is
0: not a controversial ending because it reflects the book. Both the book and the movie reflect this of, uh, and there are so many message boards like on Reddit and all these articles of just like, did Patrick Bateman actually kill people? And the entire point is, doesn't matter if he did or did not, it's that we as a society didn't give a fuck to punish him. We didn't give a fuck. That's true. William that's Defoe true. never comes back. Nobody gives a shit. He gets away with murder. And that's where we are with impeachment. So, I know.
1: <laughs> great ending point.
0: I, I want to give you a companion piece to this, G.
1: Oh, what's the companion piece?
0: I think that you and I, this weekend, we should watch. I don't know if we'll do a podcast about it, but you and I should watch um, Promising Young Woman, Carrie Mulligan. <gasps>
1: Oh, my God, I've been dying to see it. Yes. Yeah. And it's supposed to be, like, one of the best movies. You know what? I had this in mind. This is so psychic of you. Um, when I was watching this movie, I was like, keep reminding myself I need to watch Promising Young Woman. And this would be oh. a New Bev
0: double feature like no other. Yes. We love you, New Bev. Please open. <laughs> Please open so we can come to you. Come
1: back.
0: Come um, back. Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed this. And it, remember, it's hip to be square.
1: Bum Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Was
0: that bad? Was that-